So last week we began a Lenten worship series that's going to carry us up to Palm Sunday, actually. We've entitled it uh, Parables That Prepare Us. Jesus' favorite methodology for teaching was the use of parable. So we believe that um, spending some time in this season studying some of those parables will help prepare our spirits, our hearts, to experience the Paschal mystery. That is, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. This day we have the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. So I'm going to invite you to follow along the Gospel of Matthew, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 15. You can follow along on your phone if that's where you keep your Bible or in one of the pew Bibles. Let's listen together for God's word to each of us and to the church this day. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. When he went out at about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And when he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired around five o'clock came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat." But he replied to one of them, friend, am I, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. It's a phrase that you'll hear a lot in recovery. It articulates this idea that we are indeed the central characters in our own existence. Other people and other things have to be communicated to us, but the the feelings and the thoughts and the beliefs that we have within us, they're, they're as close as our next breath. There's this other phrase in recovery, it's, it's called right-sizing, or being right-sized. To calibrate oneself is what it means, to calibrate oneself to a, a place of, of centeredness. I love the phrase, right-sizing. Right-sizing is the practiced art of one being humbled by their higher power to remove obstacles so that one might see themselves clearly, neither too big nor too small. 
right-sizing is about taking up the appropriate amount of space in a room. It's about thinking perhaps a little bit less about ourselves and a little more about others, or the opposite. Right-sizing is about being not too grandiose and also not too small and unworthy. In this parable, the vineyard owner goes out early in the day, finds workers, calls them into the field. They agree upon what is a fair wage. But he keeps going back to that marketplace. And then at the end of the day, once the field has been filled, the vineyard filled with all sorts of different workers who've been there all sorts of different amounts of time, he tells his manager to start paying folks. And so they line up, beginning with those who showed up at 5 o'clock. And those first workers in the line, the last workers who made it to the field, they receive a denarius. And you could imagine they must be grateful. They know that to be a fair wage for a full day, and yet they've received it first off. I think it's purposeful the way that the landowner decides to line folks up. He wants those who were there early in the morning to to see what he's paying the others. And if you were an early worker, if you got there at, let's say, sunrise or maybe even 9 o'clock, perhaps even noon, and you saw that one denarius being given to the laborer who showed up at 5 o'clock, you had to be on your toes. Hopeful that even though you had agreed to a certain wage that this landowner was generous and you were going to get even more. But the closer they get to the front of the line, the more the realization begins to set in for those who have borne, as they say, the scorching heat of the day. They will get what they were promised and no more. And when they received it, Scripture tells us, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Equal to us. It doesn't seem so much that this is uh, about money, although it might be. It seems more that it, it might be about the way in which this landowner has leveled the playing field. The people who show up early and the people who show up late that phrase right-sizing was in my mind this week because it seems to me that the, the owner right-sizes everyone and not everyone likes it. He gives everyone what they actually need. The latecomers, those who show up at 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock, they need provision and grace. The early workers, those who show up at the break of day, they needed correction and humility. The problem is that those early workers, maybe even the late ones actually, have internalized a different sort of economic system. And when you've internalized an economic system that bestows one's worthiness based on one's production, it is a hard pill to swallow when someone chooses another type of system. When you've equated your economic beliefs with your theological beliefs, it's not going to end well for you or for others. Because God's economy isn't a meritocracy. 
In God's economy, humanity is always the focus. The early workers don't like this new economy. The early workers don't want to be equal to the late workers. They actually resent it. It makes them angry. The early workers imagine themselves to be gatekeepers of God's grace. They know what they deserve, and they know it's more than what the others have been given. They've worked harder, showed up, and yet the landowner chooses a different path. I was reminded of a a scene in a television show I used to watch about a decade ago this week. It was a scene with a single dad trying to figure out what it looks like to be the father to two young daughters. He's stumbling his way through it. It's difficult. The show is kind of this, this opening, this vulnerable opening of what it means to try to, to parent on weekends. There's this one scene after dinner. He's scrambled together a dinner for his two daughters, and they've gone to eat. And the youngest daughter makes her way back into this galley kitchen that he's standing in, kind of slowly cleaning the dishes, trying to put them away. And she says to him, uh, I, want, I want another bowl. I want some more ice cream. He looks down and says to her, we're out. There's no more ice cream. She says, sister got more ice cream. I want more ice cream. He says, I, I don't know what you want from me. There, there's no more to give you. And then she begins to move into a tantrum. None of y'all have thrown one of those. I haven't either. But she begins to move into a tantrum. That's not fair, she says. That's not fair, she repeats louder and louder. And it crescendos as he's sitting there trying to clean the dishes. And he turns to her, and as calmly as he can, he says, who told you it was supposed to be fair? Life is not fair. And then he gets down at her eye level. He squats to her. And he says, here's a lesson. The only time you need to look in your sister's bowl is to make sure that she has enough. You don't need to look into her bowl to see if you have as much as she does. Or put another way, the only time you need to look into your neighbor's bowl is to make sure that they have enough. You don't need to look into your neighbor's bowl to see if they have as much as you do. The daughter is incredulous, though. It's not fair, Daddy. He said, how about a chocolate? She said, sounds good. He hands her a chocolate, and she leaves. Parenting is hard. Being a gatekeeper of God's grace, though, is hard, too. It weighs on us. I spent the last week trying to think about who it is that I gatekeep from the grace of God. Turns out, um, a lot of people, but the first people that came to mind for me were mostly those with whom I disagree theologically. Maybe it's because I was in preacher mode 
But I realized as I was reflecting on it this week that it is often easier for me to have close and meaningful relationships with siblings of other faith than it is for me to be close with even other Presbyterians. I'm not proud of myself. I'm just saying that it's how things are when I imagine myself to be a gatekeeper of God's grace. But here's the truth. God is not glorified when we position ourselves as gatekeepers of grace and judge God's generosity. It brings God no glory. Rather, in response to God's generous grace, God desires our gratitude. As Brueggemann tells us, if we are adequately grateful, we will be propelled to be generous. A friend of mine preached a sermon not unlike the one that Janine shared with us and our children just a, a few minutes ago. She preached it one Sunday, speaking of uh, the love of God that covers everyone equally. She spoke of how God's grace is abundant for everyone. God loves everyone the exact same. They got into the car on the way home. She has two daughters. They're sitting in the back seat. One of the daughters, actually both of them, engage quite frequently in a sermon critique. That's a fun thing for a mama and a preacher to get right when she gets back in the car. So the daughter pipes up from the back seat, the eldest daughter pipes up and says, so you're telling me that God loves everyone exactly the same. Yep. That's the good news. You're telling me that God loves Martin Luther King Jr. God loved Martin Luther King Jr. as much as God loves Miley Cyrus. Miley was in one of her more difficult phases, okay? She says, yeah, that's the good news. And there was silence in the back seat. And then under her breath, her daughter goes, I mean, it's good news for Miley. (laughs) But it turns out to be good news for us too. Because we imagine that we are the early risers. Those who've been laboring in the field all day long, who've had to live under the scorching heat of the day. We imagine ourselves to be up bright and early, ready to work, doing the good and faithful work. We rarely imagine ourselves as those who show up at three or five or those who are left at the marketplace all day long. But the reality is, depending on where we are in our lives and what season we might be in, we never know when it is that the landowner will come and call us to labor. So what we need to trust in and be grateful for is a God, no matter when we arrive, a God that shows us grace and love and kindness equal to everyone else. What we need to do is not imagine ourselves as gatekeepers of grace, but to be people who are grateful for the generosity of a God who loves us and welcomes us 
and gives us exactly what we need. And sometimes it is humility, and other times it is grace. And what we trust in is that every time God gives us a gift, it will be good news for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Mother of us all. Amen.